If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And um, last week I was sharing with you about this, and I'm going to pick up on it again, but about following Jesus. How many of you realize that that is, as a believer, that's our number one responsibility? Is to follow His leading, is to follow Christ. To, to, because, I mean, how else are we going to become who God wants us to be unless we are being transformed? The Bible, you know, I used to say it this way, uh, and I've been thinking about this over the last few days, is that whenever I would see people encounter Jesus in Scripture, they always changed. But I'm kind of rethinking that now a little bit because change can be good and can be bad. And so one of the things, though, that I do see is that when people encounter Jesus, they had the opportunity, and if they took advantage of it, they grew. You know, and that's part of really the ultimate goal for all of us is that we want not just us as a church. I want you as an individual to grow in uh, your knowledge of God, but I also want you to grow in your relationship with God. Um, You know, salvation is not just a one-time experience to be had. It is a life to be lived uh, over the course of years and years and years. And the prayer would be is that the longer that we walk with the Lord, the closer that we walk with the Lord. But yet... I've done this long enough to know that that's not always the case. You know, and there's this continual submission to Christ that we have to uh, come to terms with, if you will. And, uh, you know, and, and here's the thing. Jesus doesn't negotiate. He made statements throughout the Gospels that were pretty cut and dry. And he didn't leave a lot of wiggle room. And we're going to look at one. We looked at this last week as well. But uh, it's here in Matthew chapter 16. Starting in verse 24, just going to read a couple verses here. But Jesus makes the disciple and says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. Now, that's an easy statement for us to say, but it's not so easy to live out. Because before Jesus says, follow me, he gives us a couple of things that we have to do. The first one is, he says, you have to give up your own way. Well, that's not very easy. Like it's a couple of little short words, but that's not real easy to always do. I'll give you an example of this. To give up my own way would mean to give up my ability to hold a wrong against somebody else. Well, they wronged me, therefore I don't have to forgive them. Well, my way and my approach, if you will, to life says, hey, I've got to give up my rights. Now, as Americans, as You know, people, you know, we celebrate today our veterans. And so if you have served, we honor you today. We are so thankful. Uh, Both of my grandfathers were veterans of World War II. And, uh, you know, and Dara's grandfather as well, um, you know, was a, he was actually flew over Normandy uh, during World War II and was in a, I don't remember what it was, B-12, I think. Is that right? I don't remember. I don't know. He was a gunner in a plane over Normandy. So he got to watch history being made right below him. And, uh, you know, and so, but, uh, you know, but so much of those things, uh, you know, as far as our freedoms, we will fight to keep, but yet they will fight against our walk with the Lord as well. Yeah. You know, and so there are things that we have to be careful of that we don't get them mixed up. And I've made this statement before, and sometimes I've ruffled feathers by making this, is, is making the statement is this, is that you can sometimes, not always, but there will definitely be times where you're going to have to make a decision. Are you an American or a Christian? Because your American rights... Well, I can say whatever I want. Yeah, you have freedom of speech, but the Bible says don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Okay, well, which side am I going to identify with? Which one has higher authority in my life? 
well, you know, I have a decision in that moment. Well, that's what this is talking about. I must give up my own way, my own thoughts, my own agenda, if you will. And he says, you have to take up your cross. Well, what does that mean? What does that practically, realistically look like every day? Well, I mean, what was the cross for Christ? Ultimately, it was his price to fulfill what God had called him to do. It's what it took for him to uh, ultimately pay the price for our sins so that we could walk in the fullness of life that, that God wanted for us to have. Well, there are things that we are, in a sense, you could say it this way, there's going to be some things that we're going to have to bear to accomplish what God has called me to be. I remember um, when I first took the church a couple of years ago, I remember Pastor Dennis called me, uh, who was the founder of the church and was pastor for 14, 13 years, I don't remember. And uh, anyhow, and he called me one day and we were talking. And he says, I'm just curious, did you feel the weight of being the pastor yet? He's like, because I sure felt it lift off of me. And he's like, I was just curious, like, did, like I'm, I'm just, you know, he's like, just, just curious if it left me and it fell to you. Like, and I was like, well, at the time I was like, well, not really. Uh, I don't know that I have. Today I would answer that question a little differently. <laughs> but, well, what is that? Well, that's part of my cross. That's part of what I bear to do what God has called me to do. Yeah, there's a certain amount of, it, you, I'll put it this way, but it, it's, I don't really know another word. There's a certain amount of pressure, if you will. I mean, people come to you for answers, so you better have some answers, you know. And uh, so, but, but here's the thing, is that there is a grace for me to do and to carry that cross as well that's in my life. Well, we all have those things. Well, the good news is Christ doesn't say it explicitly, but he's not saying that we're to do everything God's called us to do on our own. There's the grace of God to operate in our life to do the things that God has called us to do. You know, and, and God's grace will make you a lot better than you are. <laughs> It makes me better than I am, no doubt. And, and things get a lot easier. But the last thing that Jesus, so he says, hey, you've got to give up your own way. You've got to take up your cross and you have to follow me. Now, you know, and I shared a little bit about this last week, but just the idea of following means somebody else is in the lead. Like I'm not in charge and me and Jesus aren't equals. We're not shoulder to shoulder. He's in front of me and I'm following. I, I'm pursuing him. So you could say it this way, is that I can't follow Jesus and have my own way. Because if Jesus takes a left and I want to go right, well, I'm no longer following him. And yet here he says, give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. And in verse 25, it says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Another way to say this is like this, is that if you try to figure out and to f try to shape your life, into what you think you want it to be, you're going to end up losing because you'll never attain the thing that you really wanted. But he goes on here. He says, but if you give up your life for my sake, he says, you will save it. Other translations say you will find it. See, with God, we never lose when we give up something. We always get the upgrade. That's one of the things I was sharing with you last week. God always has something better in mind for us anytime that he asks us to give anything. I mean, you know, we were talking about a few minutes ago, even in the area of our finances. We're like, well, man, the tithe, that's 10%. That's, that's a lot of money. Yeah, but God has something better in mind on the other side of our obedience in the tithe. So, yes, you, in, I mean, I'm a math person. I get numbers. Subtracting things does not make more, but yet in God's economy, it does. And really, ultimately, even what that is, is this, is that can, you, can God do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%? Because when we don't tithe, that's what it says. 
God, I believe I can do better and more with my hundred than trusting you with my ninety. Well, that's even in the natural. That's my own way. I mean, look, I've had the thought like all of us have had in this room. What could I do with that money if I just kept it? Like, man, I could have this or I could do that. Or, But am I forsaking my own way or clinging to my own way? And yet, and, and here's the thing is that and, and even with that example, he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you try to even hang on to, you know, just keep rolling with it, might as well. If you try to hang on to your money, it's going to find another place to go. He says, but if you lose your life, you will find it. Well, that's exactly how giving works. Real blessing comes on the other side of obedience. And more blessing than I could have ever created with what I had. And so Jesus continues here and he says, uh, you know, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it or you will find it. And he says in verse 26, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? It says, is anything worth more than your soul? And so last week I was sharing with you just the, the thoughts, if you will, about what does it mean to really follow Christ and, and like in all the time things. Because even other, um, other of the gospels say that you have to take up your cross daily. It's not just a one-time deal like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to get saved. I'm going to go get a Jesus fish tattooed on my body so that, you know, I'm committed now and I'm in. And, you know, I wear all my Christian T-shirts to declare all of these things. And that makes me a Christian. Well, none of those things make you a Christian. I mean, it just doesn't. It's a heart condition. It's, it's, it's the attitude of your heart. And just because, you know, people, you know, um, necessarily play the part doesn't really mean they experience the goodness of God. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you get anything out of it. Now, I have a responsibility in that, but so do you. I have a responsibility to teach you the Word of God, that you can take it and do something with it, but you have a responsibility to receive it and to apply it and to let it actually roll around in your heart and to meditate on it and say, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me through this? So it's not just on me, it's not just on you, but it's a cooperation between all of us and the Lord. And then as we all cooperate, what happens? We all begin to grow. That's God's best. And so, you know, but, but it, it does have this, because we fight for independence. I'm a very independent person. Most of us are at varying degrees, but I'm a highly individual person. I, I don't like to ask for help. I don't like to tell people I need them. I, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. That's just the way I'm wired. And I, you know, and I don't mind helping people. I'll help other people. I just don't want to have to have people help me. So it's something I'm having to learn still all these years later that the Lord's like, hey, I brought people into your life for a reason. You ought to let them help you. <laughs> you know? And sometimes that can be hard. And yet, for us to really follow after Christ, we're going to have to lose that, um, that focus, if you will, about, well, I want to be independent. No, we're not independent. We were never created. God never designed us from the very beginning to be independent. We were always created. Go all the way back to the beginning with Adam and Eve. He created them for relationship with Him, and so they were dependent upon Him. When Adam and Eve were in connection with God, everything was good. The moment that they lost their connection with God, everything went to pot. 
Sin entered the scene. Separation came. We all know the story, but somehow things have not changed and they're not any different today than that. We're not created for independence. We're created for dependence upon God. And in that dependence is where we're going to find real life. We're going to find real strength. We're going to see where God wants to work. And so I asked you this question last week, and I'll repeat it this morning, just because I think it's an an easy way uh, that you can ask yourself this, is at the end of the day, at, at the end of every day, if you ask yourself this question, Jesus, did I follow you today? And just take an honest assessment. Like today, Lord, did I follow you? Or did I do what I wanted to do? Did I do what David wanted to do today? Or did I really follow after you? Did I do the things that you really wanted me to do today? Because it's in the daily that the long term will take care of itself. But so many times it's weeks can go by, months can go by, and we've not really followed after the Lord. We've not really, you know, another way to say that is, Lord, have I been obedient to you today? Have I done the things that you've been stirring in me and speaking in me today? Was I even paying attention today? I mean, come on, we all have those days where if we ask ourselves honestly that question, did I follow God today? Well, I don't even know if I was aware of God today. So even in that, you've got to start there. Like, okay, I need to be aware that God is speaking to me all the time, and I may not be paying attention a lick. So if I'm going to follow him, I'm going to have to listen for him first before I can follow but if I can learn to discipline my thoughts and to, and to even train my spirit to recognize when God is speaking to me, now I can start following him. Now I can let him lead. And so, um, you know, and, and so I would encourage you, take that little question, put it on something beside your bed, put it where you charge, you know, if you take your phone and you put it like I do beside my bed and that's my alarm clock, put a little note there, little question. Have you followed the Lord today? And it ought to be just a prayer. It's not a condemnation thing. It's a growth thing. It's a, it's a, a way that we can grow to say, God, have, have I cooperated with you today? You know, and so some of what I want to share with you in these next few minutes that we have together is about um, really following Jesus. But really, it's the why that we follow Jesus. You know, um, one of the things that uh, that I can just tell you, it's just human nature, but you know, when you follow something, it also determines the connection that you have to it. I'm going to give you an example of this and also the value that you give to it. Now, obviously, yesterday we had a tailgate party. It's football. There's nothing spiritual about it. God doesn't care who won or lost the game. It really doesn't matter to him. It has no eternal value whatsoever. But here's an illustration that will help you, though. All of us that were even there and some of us that weren't, follow a team and because we follow that team we have a connection to that team so we cheer we root we we're happy when we win we're sad when we lose all those kinds of things but are you actually a member of the team like did you go to practice last week i mean did you like you know uh did you suit up yesterday in pads and a jersey i mean did you run around a field trying to throw a ball or kick a ball or whatever the case may be like none of us did that and yet we would still say my team won well no the team i cheer for won but why does it matter because i follow them because i claim them so i i I claim them so i associate with them 
to the point that it actually becomes part of my identity. That's why we wear their t-shirts, we wear, you know, the, the hats, and we got, you know, you put a flag out front of your house, and, you know, there's some guy that drives around town in a truck, and he's got Razorbacks just plastered all over his truck. There's probably over a hundred of them things on his truck. He's kind of more than slightly identified himself. He's all in, you know. Well, he's a follower of that team. Now, how ridiculous would it be for that same guy that I just mentioned to drive around town and you ask him, be like, oh, you root for Arkansas. Who's that? <laughs> Did you steal somebody else's truck? Like, if you're not a follower, why would you be a fan? If, if you want to use that word. But what happens is that when you follow something, what happens? It begins to take value to you. Because why? You give it your time, your energy, your focus. All of a sudden, it begins to matter. Now, I'll give you another, another example of this. And this year, Adam had asked me to be involved in a fantasy football league, which I don't do. I don't really know much about it. You know, even my team name is here for the food. And, uh, you know, because I try, but, you know, it's just not. But, you know, but what's happened is this, is that, you know, and Dara's even asked me this. She's like, why are you watching this game? She's like, you don't care about either one of these teams. I'm like, I know, but I have a player. And I want to see how he plays because I need him to show up and give me some points. So now all of a sudden I'm a follower of teams that I don't even care about. People that I didn't even know played professional football. I'm like, I don't even know this guy's name. But he's a good guy. So I need some. Well, all of a sudden I'm watching more games than I've ever watched. Why? Because I got involved in something called fantasy. Like, they make no jokes about it. There's no real value here. This is straight-up fantasy. Fantasy football. And yet now, I get on my phone. I'm like, oh, i got to trade this guy. i got to do this. i got to do that. And I'm giving time to it. And because I give my time to it, it becomes valuable to me. Now, look. We all have our things. Some of us follow Facebook like hawks. And we know everybody's drama about everything. And then we comment on every little thing. And we like and we share and we dislike. And we do with emoji smiles. And we know everything that's going on. But we ain't thought twice about Jesus. We know more about everybody else's business than taking care of our own business. I mean, I can remember as a kid. Now, this was before I ever got saved. I... You know, of course, I was in school, but I was a huge baseball fan. Huge. Not so much anymore, but I was back then. I could memorize guys' career stats, what they were batting. Man, I, I knew players on all kinds of teams. I had my team, but I, mean, I was just a baseball nut. I collected baseball cards. That's my, I have a box labeled AKA Retirement Baseball Cards because I still have them. And, uh, you know, but I knew all of these things. But yet when it came to school, I was like, I can't remember anything. But if you were to ask me about so-and-so player, I could spit out all kinds of stats about him. Why? It was the priority. I was interested in baseball. I really didn't care too much about school at the time. But it was of importance to me. Well, today, I couldn't tell you those stats. I couldn't tell you most of those players. Why? Because it doesn't have the same value to me. You know, and there will be things in your life 
especially if you're going to follow after God, that it will change your priorities. Things that used to be really, really, really important to you just aren't that important to you. The approval of others used to be really important for me. The longer I've walked with the Lord, the more I've learned that it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks. What really matters is what He thinks. And so even when I've had to make tough decisions, when everybody else was saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and I knew the Lord was telling me to do that, if I wasn't careful, my desire for approval of everybody would have kept me from doing what God had told me to do. So I had to forsake my own way. I had to what follow Christ. Well, we all have to do that constantly. You know, and so there's things that we go through that we'll be faced with decision. We'll be faced with these choices. Am I going to do what I know in my heart that God wants me to do? Or am I going to do what I want to do? You know, I was talking to a friend of mine last night, a really good friend of mine last night on the phone for a few minutes. And he was telling me, and really, because I think sometimes people get bogged down and they're like, well, I never hear from God. Well, God's not going to talk to you necessarily the way you're hearing my voice right now. I might, maybe, and I'm not saying 100%, I might have ever heard God speak audibly one time, ever. I mean, I, pers- I wish it was clear sometimes when God would speak. But through, through years now of walking with the Lord, I have learned to recognize Him speaking on the inside of me. But sometimes it's not like the billboard that I wish it was. And I was talking to my friend last night, and he was just telling me about some things. We've been, it's kind of, um, it's been a conversation that we've been having for several months now. And he's just been praying about some things that he needed to do and moving forward. And he said, man, I think I got my answer. He said, and it wasn't like God spoke to him. He was actually in conversation with somebody else, and they made the statement. He was like, and the way he said it was so cool. He's like, it's like I could see all the colors, but I couldn't see the picture clearly. He says, and when they made the statement, it was like everything was just came into focus for him. And so he began to tell me about what he felt like the Lord was, because he's in a time of transition from one season to another, which is challenging. And he began to tell me about what was in his heart. And now this is somebody that I've known for more than 20 years, one of my closest friends. And he just began to tell me about what he was feeling like the Lord was leading him into. And I just told him, I said, you know, I said, as your friend, just from a straight knowing you and knowing what, that seems right. Now, God didn't tell me that was right, but I had this something on the inside that said, I think that's the right thing. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, you know, and you have to, I mean, this, the reason that we have the word of God, you can't be moved by your emotions because your emotions are lie to you every day, all the time, if you allow them to. But God does give us the unction of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, in the book of Acts, we read where the Bible says that it seemed right to the apostles. They didn't get a word from God. They just had, man, this just feels right. Now, when I say feels, not the emotional side. It's just something on the inside of you that's stirring. Well, that's how God, that's one of the way God speaks. God does speak through his word. You know, this has been a little while back. I was trying to uh, figure out some things for the church. And I was just praying. I was like, okay, Lord, I need to make some decisions in this and this. And I just need to know the time frame. And if I do this, then who do I get involved with this? So forth, so on, blah, 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 all these things. I was just reading the Bible one day, and there was the answer right there. Just don't do this hastily. Oh, okay. So I 
don't need to make that decision today because I felt the pressure of I got to make this decision now. Like I've got to do something right now. And then the wisdom came from the word of God that said, hey, don't do this. Exactly my situation and exactly what I was trying to come to determination on. And it says, don't do this quickly. I was like, that's my word from God. That's what I needed. And to be quite honest, it's nine months, a year later. I've still not made the decision because God hasn't said to. But it took all the pressure off because I got a word just reading the Bible. And it was like, oh, that's, that's how I need to handle that. Okay. God, you'll tell me what I need to do when I need to do it. Now, that can be frustrating because God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And sometimes it's just patience. I don't like that. I want to do it now. Get it over the way. Get off my mind. Get off my... And yet there's patience involved. Now, I want to show you an example. And this is probably one of the... Um, clearest examples through scripture of where we see from somebody walking with or before walking with Christ to somebody after and it's probably the one that we have the most detail on throughout scripture and I'm going to talk about the apostle Paul because and you can turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 9 we're going to read a few verses here together Um, but if you aren't familiar with the story of who we refer to as the apostle Paul originally his name was Saul and he was a Pharisee, which they were one of the they were the strictest code of conduct, if you will, of all the religious leaders. And so, you know, they didn't they were just detailed to the max. They were the most highly educated. They were the most disciplined. They were considered to be kind of the elite, if you will, of the church at the time, which you know, whatever, of the temple, I guess would technically be the right term for that. But they were really, you know, almost like the Ph.D. of theology. That's how the best way I can communicate it to you today. They were just, and not only were they extremely well-versed in their education, but even in their physical disciplines, all these types of things. And so Paul is, or I'm sorry, Saul at the time was such an avid um, Pharisee that he was heavily persecuted the church to the point of killing Christians, of Christ's followers. And so... I mean, you could say this, is that Saul was an enemy of Christ. Quite literally, he was. And we see here in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says um, that Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. It says, so he went to the high priest, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the the arrest of any follower of the way he found uh, there. It says he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. He wanted to chain gang them up and literally walk them back to put them in prison. And it says, as he was approaching Damascus, on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And it says he fell to the ground and heard a voice from heaven saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is just a side note, but any time that Christians are persecuted, Jesus takes it personally. Now, this wasn't the first time that we see Saul being involved with the persecution of Christians. He was actually standing there holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. Now, I believe that that instance is what created the opportunity for God to speak directly to Saul. I I can't prove it through Scripture, but I believe that God always answers uh, when righteous blood is spilled. Think about Cain and Abel. God dealt with Abel. Why? Because innocent blood had been shed. God responds, in more of a modern term, God responds to terrorism. Why? Because innocent blood is shed. 
That's unrighteous. And God will always, being a righteous judge, will always respond to that. You know, and here I believe that that's exactly what happened. Is that because Paul had been a member or a partaker in the shedding of innocent blood, it opened up the opportunity and the door for God to, to really to interrupt his day. I'll say it that way. If this isn't just God's sovereign moment where he just took over and just says, Saul, your life is now mine. Give it up. Forget it. No, he still had a choice because he's an, an adamant opposition to the cause of Christ. In verse 5, Saul responds and says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. He says, now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. Now, we just think, well, Saul just went. No, he had a choice. He didn't have to do. Now, we get a little more detail here in the next couple of verses because it says in verse 7 that the men uh, with him stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there um, blind for three days, and he did not eat nor drink. So Paul has this crazy encounter with God on the road to Damascus to the point that the... That, you know, light shines down on him from heaven. And Jesus himself begins to speak from heaven to Saul. So that to the point that when he gets up from the ground, he realizes he can't see anything. And God gave him instruction. Jesus gave him the instruction and said what? Hey, go to the city. Go to the city. Go and, you know, but and he said, look, I'll tell you what you must do. Well, long story short, we're not going to read all this just for the sake of time, but there was a man named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Ananias, I want you to go over here to Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias begins to backtrack. He says, hold up, this dude's got a reputation. Like, I, I, I'm a God-fearing man. But do you not know this guy's rap sheet? I mean, it's really what he says. Like, are you talking about like the Saul of Tarsus, God? Because you know if I go there, he's going to throw me in jail if he doesn't kill me first. Well, here, Ananias obviously doesn't want to go. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. And yet, God had given him an instruction. Ananias, go to Saul of Tarsus. In verse 13 of Acts 9, Ananias actually says, he says, But Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone or everyone who calls on your name. In verse 15, it says, But the Lord said, Go. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to the kings, as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer uh, for my sake. So long story short, Ananias goes. He's obedient. He didn't want to go, obviously. Who would? I mean, like, you know, put it in practical day terms. Hey, who's the number one terrorist on, you know, global terrorist? And the Lord says, hey, I want you to go to that guy's house. Uh, no, thank you. I'm good. Why would I do that? But yet that's pretty close to context here. Ultimately, Ananias goes, he lays hands on Saul, and the Lord restores his sight. Well, that began an entire shift, a change 
in Saul's life, where he had been antagonistic, he had been in great opposition to Christ, now he becomes a very devoted follower of Christ. Very devoted. Now this is kind of an interesting thought because Paul has to, now because God has changed his name from Saul to Paul, we know him now as the Apostle Paul, but he has to go submit to a bunch of fishermen who we call the original apostles. Not all of them were fishermen, but the majority were. So let's say it this way. Acts 4 says that they were obviously uneducated men, but they had been with Jesus. Well, here's Paul, who went to the best colleges of the day, was taught by the best teachers of the day, and now he has to go submit himself to them. Now, that may not seem like a big deal. It's a huge deal. Why? Because there were a lot of things that Paul had been taught that weren't correct. He was taught religion. He was not taught relationship. Well, he had to go submit himself to the apostles. And he had to, let me say that he had to unlearn some things and he had to learn some things. There were some adjustments that had to be made. But he had all of this pedigree, if you will. And yet, to follow Christ, he had to be willing to lay it all aside. See, if we're not careful, even our own successes in life, even our successes in our walk with God, can get in the way of our continually following Christ. That can be the hang-up, if you will, from actually walking with Him, because we will try to begin to advise God. I've been guilty of this. Well, God, that's not logical. That's not what I, it just doesn't seem right to me. Why would you want me to do that? God never responds to those questions. I've just got a decision. Am I going to go my way? Or am I going to follow him? He just gives the instruction. Now over in Philippians chapter 3, I believe that we get a window into Paul's mentality, if you will, about this. Because as I was saying a few minutes ago, what you follow, ultimately, you have a connection to. It's what you relate to. It's what you give value to. What you pay attention to. Those, you know, and you do that by what? By the commonality, you know, the, the every day. I have some really good friends that I used to hang out with every day that I've not hung out with in a really long time. Well, I'm not close to them like I used to be. But there are people that I'm around on a regular basis today that I didn't know a few years ago, but I'm a lot closer today. Why? Because of proximity. I mean, I don't know how many of you have ever, have ever like, lived in one place and then moved. Well, those relationships, you can say all day long, oh, man, we're going to stay friends and we're going to stay and connect. We're gonna, it, things aren't going to change at all. That's a lie. Yeah. Why? Because that connection's partly through proximity. It's not because you don't want to. It's just really inconvenient to. And you have to make it a priority. Well, you can only make so many, a pro- so many people a priority in your life. You can't make 100 can't have a hundred best friends. You ain't got time for a hundred best friends. You just don't. But yet here we see a little bit of Paul's mentality. And it comes out of Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 3. And it, Paul's writing. And he says, For we who worship the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. I realize I'm picking up mid-flow. But I'm just trying to cut down some time. If you're curious about it, you can go read the preceding verses later 
He says, we rely on what Christ has done for us. He says, we put no confidence in human effort. Now, we read that and we don't think a whole lot about it. But Paul's uprising and, and, uh, and education was all about human performance, was all about human effort. And yet here he says, and you can see this shift that has happened because of following Christ, used to, it was all about what he did and how he did it and how well he could perform. See, the devil would love for us to just perform for God. Come to church, raise our hands, read our Bibles maybe occasionally, make sure it's out on the coffee table so when people come by, they think we read the Bible. You know it's bad when you've got to dust off your Bible before people come over? Like, let me hurry up and... So it looks, you know, got to keep it in the right spot. But, but the, the enemy would love nothing more than for you to live in that place of just performance. Why? Because there's no power in performance. There's no real growth in performance. Paul says, look, I put no confidence in human effort. But he goes on and he says, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. He said, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. Now, again, most of us say, what does that matter? He's basically giving them his uh, social standing. I mean, the tribe of Benjamin had a very uh, high regard and respect and honor even amongst the 12 tribes. So he, he's saying, look, if anybody is kind of top tier person, that's me. Nobody else can has my pedigree. Nobody. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. He says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and... And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. (laughs) That's a big statement. Now, verse 7 is where we get a picture. Because really what Paul is doing, he is saying, look, before I knew Jesus, these things were what was important to me. My education, my background, my social standing, my position among the Pharisees. All of these things were all so important. In verse 7, he says... He changes kind of his tone here too. And he says, I once thought these things were valuable. And now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. What was of value to me in light of what Christ has done has become worthless. See, if we're not careful, we will be so confident in ourselves and our abilities to to become who God wants us to be that we actually no longer really rely upon Him to produce the life that He wants in us and for us. Why? Because we're relying upon this human effort to produce it. In verse 8, he continues and he says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ my Lord. It says, For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I can gain Christ. So that I can gain Christ. That connection. Man, I want to be connected to the heart of my Savior. I don't want to be a puppet on a stage performing. I want to have a real life connection to Christ. 
He says in verse 9, he says, And I want to become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obedience or through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. It says, For God's way of making us right with himself depends upon faith. It says, I want to know the power of Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one day or one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is saying, look, as a follower of Christ, which, you know, it depends on who you believe, I suppose. But they believe that Paul, somewhere between 10 and 14 years, was a follower of Christ before he ever began writing what we call the epistles. So he was a follower of Christ for a long time before he ever started being what God had called him to be. But he had to be taught, trained of the Lord. Why? Because the Lord had a very specific mission, job, role for him, calling for him, if you want to call it that. But yet he never lost sight of the why behind it. He was following after Christ, but there was always that why, which was what? I want to become more intimately acquainted with him. I want to know more about Christ. I want to know more of who he is. I want to become more and more and more like him continually. And he never lost that desire. I mean, you can see it throughout the writings of Paul. There was always this constant desire. Is it, look, I want to be a follower. I want to be in pursuit of Christ. You know, there's a a quote that I love. Most of you know that I love quotes because they stick in my brain, so I like them. But I love this quote, and it says, The proof of desire is in your pursuit. The proof of desire is in pursuit. I didn't just tell Dara that I thought she was nice and pretty and... Hey, you want to get married? I'm going to go do my own thing. Let me know when you're ready. I pursued her, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. You know, for all of our young men in here, if you ever have hopes of ever getting a wife, you got to learn to ask a girl on a date, like first. Right? So why? Because there's pursuit. And we didn't date for two weeks and say, hey, this thing is be working pretty good. Let's get married. I mean, we dated almost right at four years before we got married. Well, there was pursuit. Well, that pursuit didn't stop the day that, well, let me say it this way. That pursuit shouldn't have stopped the day that we said I do. That pursuit should continually be going. Why? Because if I don't continue to pursue, our relationship will die. Now, we know that naturally. The same thing is spiritual, too, in our walk with the Lord. I have to have that pursuit. So don't tell me that that you have a desire, but there's no pursuit because that pursuit is the evidence of the desire. It's the truth of it. And Paul never lost this in his life really following after Christ. You see it over and over and over again. He goes on in verse 12 here and he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved all of these things or that I've already reached perfection. Sure sounded like it a minute ago, but he, he's saying, look, that's not what I'm saying. I love the second part of verse 12. He says, I press on to, to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed for me. So in other words, what he's saying is, look, I'm not perfect, but I am pressing for perfection. Because Christ has already become perfection for me. Therefore, I'm going to press to that mark. That he has for me. 
Verse 13 says, No, brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. It says, I press to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ, is calling us. Now, you know, as I was praying and, and studying and just pulling my thoughts together, that this verse and this part of this verse stuck out to me, which is this. In verse 13, he says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. You can't follow looking backwards. Past mistakes, past regrets, whatever it may be, if you're going to follow after Christ, he is not in your yesterday. He's already taken care of yesterday. He's not concerned about yesterday. The only time he's concerned about yesterday is when it's not been covered by his blood. Once our past and our, and our righteousness, if you will, has been covered by the blood of Christ, which is true righteousness, now he's concerned about our future. And so many times, if we're not careful, we will allow the enemy to try to keep us looking back and to keep going back to our past mistakes and those things that have held us back. And Christ is saying, come and follow me, but we're not looking at him. We're looking back. We're, we're, our, our minds and our thoughts are in yesterday, not in, God, where are you leading me to? And therefore, we never follow. We get off course because we, we, we were looking the wrong direction. I mean, an, an easy example of this is when you leave today, just look in your rearview mirror and see how well you drive. Don't ever look at the road in front of you. Just keep looking backwards. I'm sure you'll make it home just safe. Be perfect. I mean, you know. It was never intended to look at. It was intended to glance at for a moment, see what's behind you. If you're going forward, you ought to be looking forward. Well, the same thing is true spiritually speaking. In our, in our relationship with God, we've got to look forward. I can't change the past. I've been redeemed from it. I've been forgiven because of it. But, you know, one of the things that I've had to learn, and I'm still learning in some areas, is to follow Christ out of my past. Because there are things that are 20 years old that if I would allow them to, would become a hindrance to where God wants me to be. Well, the same is true for you. I'll give you just a real practical, and again, it's just practical. You may have been married and gotten a divorce and gotten remarried. Just because you failed once doesn't mean your second marriage has to fail. But if you keep thinking and constantly looking back, looking back, looking back, saying, oh my gosh, and fearful of the past, it will destroy the future. Whereas if you can actually say, okay, Lord, look, I realize whatever happened, happened. I can't do anything about that. But now I have this new relationship and I'm asking you to work in it. And I'm asking you to help us to, to be who you've called us to be as a husband and as a wife. Just an interesting note, but if you're married, you know God doesn't see you as an individual anymore. The Bible says that when a husband and wife come together, they become one. Well, that's in the eyes of God. Well, so God looks at you as a cup, as into, you know, as an entity. Now he'll deal with you separately, but in his eyes, you're one. Well, why will God deal with us as individuals? Because he wants the one to be whole. He wants it to be better. But there are people who live with regret, live with regret, live with regret. You've got to stop living in regret, start following Jesus. Why? Because if you'll follow him, he'll take care of the past. 
He can restore and He can redeem. You don't have to clean up your own mess. You've just got to follow Him. And if you'll follow Him, if you'll walk with Him, if you'll learn from Him. I love uh, Matthew chapter 11 in the message translation. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. He says, and I will give you rest. In the message it adds this. And I love this translation. He says, come follow me and you will find the unforced rhythms of grace. God doesn't force anything on us. But if we'll learn to just walk with him. And there's a rhythm to it. There is. In walking with the Lord. If we'll learn to walk with him though. His grace will begin to work in us. We'll begin to, to grow and mature in him. And he'll begin to clean up all those messes that we had. And we just have to trust him with that. We have to trust him in those moments where God is leading us to take a step of faith. And we're thinking, God, I can't do that. I mean, I'm pretty convinced. If I waited till I knew I was ready to do anything, I would still be sitting on my rear end having never taken the first step for God. Well, I'm many steps down the road from those initial steps. But I would have never, I wouldn't be standing here. And I just had to say, God, you're prompting me. You're, you're stirring in me to take a step. And man, I don't feel ready for this at all. I need your help. I need your grace in my life. Well, what? It goes back to that dependency. When I follow Christ, it keeps me dependent upon him. I don't have to fight that, you know, to some degree, we're always going to fight that independence in our own heart. But yet when we have a recognition that you are the Lord of my life, you're the one in control. I live for you. I don't live for me any longer. That you're in charge of my life. And our responsibility is to simply follow and obey. That's our responsibility as believers. Is to walk it out. To follow after him. To grow in our knowledge. Our understanding. And to keep our hearts intimately connected to him. Because out of that. That's where all those other things will take care of themselves. If we will focus on Jesus. Keep our eyes fixed. We will grow and he will help us with everything else. It's when we start trying to fix all these little issues that we get in trouble. You got to trust him. You got to follow. Be faithful to follow him. The easiest way I know how to tell you to do this is every day. Ask that question. Did I follow you today? Did I listen for your voice today? Did I hear you but ignore you? Because if I did, I'm sorry. I'm going to do better tomorrow. And you grow one step at a time. And you'll get stronger and stronger. And you'll learn to hear the voice of God clearer and clearer and clearer. Why? Because it's a priority.